Thank you, Dennis. That was excellent. Hey, on behalf of Covenant Life Church here in Atlanta, and boy, with of all, we wanted to welcome you to Atlanta. We're really excited that you're here. It felt like the presence of God was with us earlier, right? He still is. It's wonderful. Uh, I want to introduce our second speaker tonight and really say to you that he's a man that needs no introduction, but that's never kept me from start doing it anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and speak. Uh, what I would like to tell you is that there's going to be a Q&A time after Charles is speaking to us by Zoom. And so in your little registration bag, there's an index card and a pen in there. And so while he is speaking, we encourage you, if you have a question that you'd like to throw into the pot to see if we could draw it out and be able to ask, we'd like for you to do that while he's speaking, because as soon as he's finished, we're going to gather those cards up, and we're going to pick the best ones, so make it a good question, and then we're going to be able to pose that to him shortly. Charles is... Uh, is a man who has pioneered so many things, especially along with the other four teachers, Don Basham, Bob Mumford, Ern Baxter, Derek Prince, uh, leaders in the charismatic renewal. And he greatly impacted the lives of tens of thousands of people, many of them uh, that have gone on to do great things in the kingdom themselves, many of us impacted as well. He was instrumental in the lives uh, in our lives of bringing messages of clarity around the kingdom of God and God's covenant and the importance of family and fatherhood and spiritual authority and community and small groups and all of the things that I really have appreciated can be wrapped up into just probably a few of the things that he's given like this challenge to care book and his message internal integrity and external integration, which means we can't do anything that doesn't start here first. There's so much I could say about Charles, but I have to say personally what he means to me and to my wife. He blessed and presided over our wedding 35 years ago. And he spoke prophetic words over us that set us on our course and restored us when we were broken. He gave me my first opportunity in ministry in 1986, becoming a pastor of youth and worship. And he continues to be a father in the Lord to so many in our family and our church community, to many of us here. So I wanna just say to Charles, we appreciate you. And we are very excited that even by Zoom that you could join us. So would you welcome Charles Simpson? Can you hear me now? Okay. Well, I thought we were just going to do an old-fashioned movie without sound, but uh, anyway, <laughs> thank you again. I'm, I'm honored to be here, and uh, I deeply appreciate the kind introduction and appreciate Dennis's message. I uh, am so grateful that he said the things that he said about the mystery because I want to talk to you about moving on into it and exploring it. And uh, the, the older I am, the more I know I don't know. There's so many things that amaze me. I think when I was younger, I, I, I felt confident and I was concerned about my place and God's plan and so forth. But 
I, I didn't see a lot of the mysteries that I've come to see, and I'm sure as time goes on, I'll see a lot more. I, uh, I think that what Dennis said, and hopefully what I'm going to say, will, will bring more humility into us. I believe that humility is a critical part of our journey and being able to move on with the Lord to be teachable, uh, to realize we know we don't know. In fact, Jesus came, Isaiah 61 says, that he came for the humble. He came for the captive. He came for the person whose life had turned to ashes. And so if we can realize our condition and too much of our religion is aimed at boosting our self-esteem rather than helping us to understand who Christ is, and how grateful and how humbled we ought to be that he has saved us. I'm not opposed to self-esteem. Of course, I would call it self-confidence, but our confidence really needs to be in the Lord. And we need to explore who he is and uh, what he has done for us. I want to read uh, what has come to be one of my favorite verses, and that's John 16, verse 12. I hope everybody will study John 14, 15, and 16, which are, and 17, which are four chapters of the last things Jesus said to his disciples before the cross. And I believe that as we look at it, uh, we will get the same sense of very pertinent and important instructions for our lives as we face the future. Uh, reading from the New King James, in uh, verse 12 of John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Then he says, all things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. I can't unpack that right now. We just don't have the time. But it's an amazing, amazing, unthinkable potential. Take this journey with the Holy Spirit. What can be revealed to us? Now, I would also like to look at Matthew 13, and I want to read a few verses. I would love to read this whole chapter because it's about parables, and parables are so important, and we'll talk about why in just a moment. But the disciples came in verse 10 of Matthew 13 and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of, of heaven, but to them it's not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. He will have abundance. But whoever does not have, he's talking about spiritual truth, what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, 
nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and not understand and seeing you will see, but not perceive because the spirit, the hearts of the people had become dull. I love talking about the mystery because it, it opens me up to realize I don't know all I want to know. The Bible says in Colossians 1.13 that he has delivered us out of darkness, out of the dominion of the enemy, into the kingdom of his dear son. Let me put it another way. We've been delivered out of the bondage we've been in, which we can see, and delivered into the invisible realm, which we cannot see. We are moving into an invisible reality. Now, Jesus said, I'll, I'll talk to you in parables, but behind the parable, there's a greater truth. Let me just say this. The founders of our country understood that natural law, which is invisible, it is, you don't see it, but there it is, like gravity's a, a natural law, and sowing and reaping is a natural law. But behind the natural laws, there's a spiritual law. And the writer of Hebrews says the things which are visible are controlled by the things that are invisible. The visible world is a manifestation of an invisible world. Dennis mentioned creation and how it happened. We can't see how it happened. We can see what happened. And so it is. In all the parables, there are things that you can see that he's talking about, natural things. But behind those things are things you can't see. They're mysteries. And God says through Christ that he will unfold those mysteries to us if we know him and if we follow on. To put it another way, when... Uh, when the temple was structured and the tabernacle, there was a veil between the uh, outer court and the holy place and the most holy place. And in the temple, it was the same way. When Jesus was crucified, the veil was rent in two from top to bottom. Now, we understand that God did this. He tore the veil away, and that is not just symbolic. It opens to us the ability to see into the most holy things of God. Now, if that doesn't humble you, my goodness, we, we have the potential to see beyond the veil. Now, let me back up. Everything you can see is a veil. But behind it, there is something you can't see, which we're to explore. Now, that doesn't mean that the visible is not important. It's very important. Jesus is God-made flesh dwelling among us. Jesus is important. But we, he came that we might know the God that we worship in Christ. And so I want us to respect and appreciate the visible and be vigilant and diligent in what we do, excellence, but 
not stop at what you can see, but to move beyond it. Now, Jesus said parables are for those that are spiritually blind and deaf. They, they see, but they don't see. I think all of us realize there are things we've seen, but we didn't really see. Things we've heard, but we really didn't listen. And that's the condition they were in. And he's talking about religious people. It's easy to become dull of hearing when you're hearing and hearing and hearing and not seeking. Now, I, I, I want to rush. I, there's so much I want to say, and I don't want to take too much time. Why seek? Why, why doesn't God just dump it on us? Why doesn't he uh, force our eyes open and our ears open? Well, I don't think you want to relate to people that way. You don't want to force yourself on them. You want to relate to people that want to relate to you. And you're not going to tell your secrets to somebody who's really not interested in you or somebody you can't trust. And God's that way. We're made in his image. Seeking shows God that we want to know him. And we want to know what he has for us. We want to know his purpose in our lives. Proverbs 25, 2 says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. Part of God's character is that he hides things from us and wants to know, do we want to know them? Are we willing to search or to seek. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Well, if we're going to rule with Christ, we need to become seekers and searchers. And that starts with our humility. It starts with realizing we don't know, we need to know, we want to know, and so we begin to seek. Life becomes a treasure hunt whenever you're looking. Well, the scripture talks another parable. There was a treasure found in a field, and the man bought the whole field to get the treasure. Well, the field is the life. It's the world. The treasure is God and his purpose and the kingdom. And so if we're seeking the kingdom, we may have to buy the whole field but we're looking for the kingdom. We're looking for God, for his reign in our lives. Seeking reveals our desire to know. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst, Matthew says. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst. That's pretty desperate for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we think we know we stop seeking. When we think we have all the treasure, we stop searching. But um, when we realize our need, our humility, the vast mystery out there to be searched, when we, when we come to that conclusion, then everything opens up. Every revelation of God Every blessing of God 
is rooted in our humility. I believe humility is the mother of all virtue. You know, honor is due and, and we should bless one another and encourage one another. But my goodness, how much is there out there that the wisest of us doesn't yet know that not only is worth knowing, but maybe a piece of your life that you'll never find until you begin to seek the Lord or until you are led to a place where somebody shares something with you on that treasure hunt. Well, he said a wonderful thing. He said, I have a lot to tell you, but you can't bear it yet. <laughs> I think we say that to children all the time. Yes, we have something to give you, but you're not mature enough to handle it yet. Um, you don't give a car to a 12-year-old. It's tough enough when you have to get one for a 16-year-old. But you're, you're saying to them, look, the time will come if you mature when you can receive this, but not yet. Jesus in this moment, prior to his crucifixion, let them know there was a lot more. They'd been with him three and a half years. They'd seen miracles, people raised from the dead. But he says, I've got a lot more to tell you. That to me is, a, it's, it's, a, it's an enticing statement. If he wants to tell me more, I want to know it. There's a reason he wants to tell me. I want to know it. I need to know it. But I, I can't know it all now. So what do I do? Well, I keep following until I'm ready to hear it. And only he knows when I'm ready to hear it. But as I follow, well, Hosea says, you'll know the Lord if you follow on to know the Lord. You say, well, I know the Lord. Yes, I, I trust all of us know the Lord. But to really know him, and that word know in the original language is a very intimate word. To really know him, we need to follow. You see, it's not education that matures us. It's our relationship with him that matures us. Revelation is not for education. It's for transformation. And he, like with the disciples, he revealed himself along the way. You say, well, I'm going to sit here and wait for him to reveal himself. Well, he won't, I don't believe. That's not the way it comes. The way it comes is you hear him say, go, you go with him, and as you're prepared, he says something or does something that opens your eyes, and it doesn't just educate you. There are a lot of quote, educated Christians, they've learned a lot about the Bible and they can tell you a lot, but that's not the same as transformation. When the Lord reveals himself to you on the journey, you're not the same person. You're being changed, Second Corinthians says, from glory to glory. We're being transformed. It's not just that he's teaching us things we don't know. It's that every time he, I'm telling you, this excites me. 
Every time he reveals himself, you become a renewed person. You become more like Jesus. So our journey is transforming us, as Paul says in, um, in uh, Romans 8.29, to the nature of Christ. Now, what we worship, who we worship, we should want to be more like. So if we're worshiping Jesus and we're walking with Jesus, we're being changed to be more like Jesus. And I, I'm sure you would agree with me. We got a little more changing. <laughs> we got a little more changing to do. I'm speaking for myself. But the journey is for transformation. Okay, the purpose of parables is to hide the truth from those that are not hungry, to reveal it to those who are, to rend the veil so that we can see into his holy things. And the purpose of the journey is that as we walk with him, like the disciples, we're being transformed. The Christian life is not a status. It's not a membership in, in the sense that we often think of that. It's a trip. It's a journey, but it's a journey with the Lord that is transforming us to be able to do the next phase of our life that will continue that transformation until we see him face to face. I think about the Apostle Paul. The first sermon I preached when I came to the Bayview Heights Baptist Church, I was 20 years old. And Philippians has always been a special book to me. But the Apostle Paul says in the third chapter in verse 14, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, forgetting those things that are behind. There are a lot of good things in the back. The Apostle Paul had, had seen a lot of good things. He was a very intelligent man. He could memorize much of the Old Testament. Uh, he, he was, he was a tremendous, he's written more of the New Testament by the inspiration of the Spirit than anybody else. But he says, forgetting those things that are behind. In one place, he said, count it as rubbish that I may win Christ. I press on, oh, my friends, if all those who name the name of Jesus, all of us would just press on if we would be willing to get out of our Egypt or leave the past or, 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 or get rid of a lot of things that we've held on to, then we can walk and that God can reveal himself to us. I love the old hymn, and I've said this to some of you before. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. My heart is no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay, though some may dwell where these abound. My prayer, my aim is higher ground. And that doesn't diminish with age because the next step out of being old is into the presence of God. And um, that's higher ground. I love that song. When I was filled with spirit in 1964, they started singing that song. I love that song. Well, we all need to press on. My goodness, we haven't arrived. The church 
has been too locked into the building. It's not about getting more of the world into the church. It's about getting more of the church out into the world where Jesus was when he walked the earth. He was down by the seashore. He was, he was all over the place. He was walking on water. He was doing amazing things out in the, out in the street. We've got to get out of the building. We've got to get out where things will happen. And um, we will be changed along with whoever else is touched. Moses didn't stop at the burning bush. God met him there and spoke to him, told him, pull off his shoes. and He's on holy ground. But he was told to go to Egypt. And from Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. And then they went to Mount Sinai. Then they went out in the wilderness. I mean, the journey doesn't stop. And when Moses was 110, he was still strong and had great eyesight and was still hearing things from God. Let's be like that. Let's say, I'm not stopping here. I'm not joining a club. I'm not just wearing a label. I'm hungry for God. I want to know him. I want to know who made 150 billion galaxies. I want to know. I want to know him. You know, some people just want to know the galaxies. Okay. But wouldn't it be wonderful to know the creator? The one who made everything that is. And we will know if we follow on to know if we go on the journey with him. And um, I, I love what David said in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you're with me. But the journey goes on to a table prepared. God has prepared a table. I want to get there. I don't want to stop in green pastures beside still waters. Thank God. I don't want to stop in the valley. Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, don't stop. If you're in a bad place, don't stop. There's a table. We can eat with the Lord. We can, we can fellowship with him. Well, let me, let me just say the key is not knowing your future. Everybody wants somebody to tell them about the future. And um, a lot of people go to fortune tellers or they go to somebody who will prognosticate over their lives. I'm not sure I want to know everything. <laughs> I want to know the guide. I've said this before. God didn't give them a plan. He said, the spirit will come and he will guide you into all truth. I, 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 I often think of the Holy Spirit like my life GPS. I don't use my GPS when I'm going around town, places I know. But when I'm going someplace I haven't been, I use it. A lot of people are so familiar with their lives. They know the paths they take, but they don't 
They don't need the Holy Spirit. They know their way around where they're going. But if you follow the Lord, he's going to take you places you've never been before. Wonderful places, treasure places, places of greater fellowship, places of great victories, places where you'll find things that complete your life in ways you would never find it if you just lived in the routine. Oh my God. So many Christians just go through routines. They don't have adventures and they don't find treasures. I want to encourage you. Look beyond the veil. It's been rent. Let the guide take you back there where the Holy Spirit comes. Let him take you out into the field where treasure is. You have an exciting adventure ahead of you. And you'll meet people on that journey you wouldn't otherwise meet. People who will encourage you, people who love you, and people who are searching too. That's a wonderful possibility. And we can make lifelong friends. I've got friends, praise God, that have been with me 60 years. I would have never met, except they happen to be on that road too. And they're so loyal and faithful and not self-centered. Wow. I want to encourage you. Stay on the journey. I know you are. I'm sure those of you are listening to me, you're on an adventure. I want to encourage you. Press on. If the road gets a little tough, what you're looking for is worth it. And as you go, you'll grow. Even in the hard places, sometimes especially in the hard places, you will grow. And you will go from glory to glory. I love the old chorus we used to sing from glory to glory. He's changing me. He's changing me. It's not about education. Thank God for good education. But it's about transformation. It's about becoming more than you are now. It's becoming somebody you're not now, really. More like Christ than you've ever been before. More perceptive. You're going somewhere that makes you different. Not proud, but you've You've gone out into the mystery. You've tasted something. It's exciting. It's a reason for living. It makes you more contagious with people, too. They there's something different about you. You don't have to tell them everything. Better sometimes you don't. But there's that glow. There's that excitement. There's that joy. There's that peace that comes from being on the trip, being on the road. There are many reasons to obey. Of course, obedience brings you closer to Christ. 
but it prepares you for the unknown. You see, when we do what he's telling us to do now, we're more ready for tomorrow. A lot of people want the treasure, but they don't want to buy the field. They, they're, there's, and they're, they're people that, that want to win the game, but they don't want to prepare. Great teams work hard. They prepare. The coach tells them what to do, and they do it. If they're a good player, the Holy Spirit's telling us what to do. Do what he says. Not just because you're submitted, or, and that's good too, but because you want to be ready. The game has already started. I, I, I pray that we'll be ready. I don't know what's coming. You know, I have ideas, but I'm expecting the unexpected. My eyes are wide open. This is a new time. I've never been here before. As much as I've been able to do with the Lord's grace and mercy, I've never faced this before. But with his help, I'll be ready and I'll be transformed and I'll find in him more than I ever knew or experienced before. And you can too. Everybody who puts their, their life, their trust in Jesus has that opportunity to be on the treasure hunt. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. But now he sat down at the right end of the Father, whatever it takes. Don't be like the Laodicean church. They had need of nothing. They were satisfied where they were. And, and the Lord said, it makes me sick. Don't be satisfied where you are. Where you are may be great. It won't be so great if you just stay there. Let's, let's go on the trip into the mystery. Let's go on the journey. What are the next steps? Well, ask the guide. Ask the Holy Spirit. So, well, I don't know what to do. Years ago, my wife and I were in transition and didn't know it. And I didn't want to move. I, mean, I never liked to move. But the brothers were calling me to move to another location. And I, I said to my friend Bob Mumford, I said, I don't know. I just don't know. And Bob said something I'll never forget. He said, if God wants you to do something, he's well able to make it clear. I found that to be true. If you seek the Lord, you're not quite sure. If your heart's open, he'll make it clear. God bless you as you follow him. Thank you, Brother Chris, for the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, can you hear me, Brother Charles? Yes, I can hear you. Great. 
So I'm going to just ask the audience, if you have jotted a question down, if you would just hold it up, and some of the people are going to come around and gather those questions. And uh, we've also had some questions from our online audience, so we're glad for that. And uh, you can keep those coming in as well from our virtual audience. So, uh, Charles, uh, as those questions are coming in, I was with you a few uh, days ago, and I heard you say that oftentimes those that experience one revival don't experience it when it happens again, or they don't experience the next revival. Um, just with respect to all that you've shared tonight, could you just elaborate on that, maybe tell us why you think that's the case and how to avoid that? Well, you know, that's part of the danger of God blessing us because we've become satisfied. And uh, the lesson is, don't be satisfied with anything that God does short of knowing him. And, um, I, I think a lot of people get hung up in the past and the glory in the past. And, and the past is great if it got you where you are, but I believe the worst thing that can happen to us is to become self-satisfied or to become dulled by routine. So uh, that would be my best answer. I think humility is the mother of virtue. It's, it's the good thing God's looking for. Pride is the mother of And I believe if we humble ourselves before God and let him lead us, uh, we'll, see, we'll see the next revival. Hopefully, I'll live that long. I want to. And I do believe God is moving again. That's great. I hope you'll live that long, too. Um, does seeking the Lord or following him into his ways happen alone in our devotional lives or in church services or as we go out into the mystery with him into mission? Well, I think if we're seeking the Lord and we really want to know him, then we become alert to wherever he speaks to us. I think God speaks to people in meetings. Uh, my experience is, I was born again in a church meeting. The pastor preached. I often say he preached on hell like he just got back. And <laughs> I got under conviction. You don't hear that kind of preaching anymore. But, um, it, you know, a lot of wonderful things can happen in church. But. And a lot of wonderful things can happen in your private prayer time. Uh, I do my Bible reading and study in the morning, and God often speaks to me and opens my eyes to something I didn't see, even though I might have read that book several times before. Um, God can speak to anywhere. I think the key is to be sensitive to his voice and uh, to be alert and uh, be watchful. Uh, it's, it's being uh, calloused or thinking we don't need it that gets us in trouble. Yeah. I, think, I think if we're sensitive to the Lord and we want to know the Lord, he can speak to us. Well, you know, a donkey spoke to his prophet. Uh, and and <laughs> I won't go too far with but. But God can use about anything to talk to us if we are hungry and we are sensitive. Yeah. yeah. 
that's encouraging that God can speak through donkeys to a lot of us sitting here. Um, <laughs> Charles, from one of our virtual audience uh, members, what is an example of a mystery that the Lord has taught you and taught, and taught you things in? Say that again. I I'm, I'm, didn't get that clear. Yes, sir. What is an example of a mystery that the Lord has taught you and, and what things has he taught you in? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I've given that a whole lot of thought. One of the mysteries that God taught me, and, and it hasn't been too long ago, is that life, my life, is like a puzzle. And the pieces are hidden in people. And I have to find the people to understand my own life because they have a piece for me that helps to complete me who I am. Wow, that's Lar great. In the larger body of Christ, I felt like the Lord said, there is a plan, but the plan is hidden in people. And you have to find the person that has a piece of that plan. And that came to me a number of years ago. So that's a mystery to me. It changed my attitude about people that I might be dealing with. And sometimes people I don't want to deal with, but they have something for me that will help me to be more mature and to, well, I may find the mystery in people. That's good. That's really great. Uh, here's one from our audience here uh, in Atlanta. What does God making it clear look like? <laughs> well, that's a good question, too. Uh, of course, the word clear, uh, first of all, refers to sight. And then we transfer that into hearing. <clears throat> what I like to do, I like to bring words down to their basic denominator. In other words, I like to use the fewest words possible to describe something uh, because I think that lends to clarity. I think the more we talk about a thing, if we're not careful, the muddier it gets. And so uh, clarity to me means I can see it, I can hear it, and I know what to do with it. That's good. Uh, another question from our virtual audience. What is the role of discipleship or community in seeking out God's mysteries? Well, part of that I mentioned, discipleship is um, a learner. A disciple is a learner. That's the fundamental word. So you assume that you're learning from your mentor. Um, but you're also learning from those who are on the journey with you. When, when uh, Peter argued with Jesus about the cross, uh, the other disciples learned something when re Jesus rebuked the devil out of him. So you, you can learn, you can learn from the mentor, but you can also learn from others. And, um, I'm not sure if I get the question real clear, but, um, discipleship is simply learning 
and we're assuming you're learning, first of all, from a mentor, but you're also learning from other people who are on the road with you. It's yeah. not by the, it's not domination. It, it, Jesus, I, I hate, I hesitate to say this, but he said, don't throw your pearls before swine. The last thing God wants to do is force feed people with his pearls and truth. That's not, that's not the way it is at all. And you don't force feed people uh, with discipleship. You offer discipleship. You offer mentoring. But you, force feeding is, has nothing to do with God. In fact, the thing is, he won't do that. That's scary. He'll only do it if you want to learn and you want to know him better. It's that hunger and thirst thing all over again. Exactly. exactly. So uh, here's a loaded one for you, Brother Charles. Uh, you may want to go ahead and disconnect right now. No, please don't. Um, They're all loaded. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're sitting there. I'm sitting here. They might throw things at me. So we'll, uh, what do you believe should be church, the church's leadership response to the COVID pandemic? Well, <laughs> I believe that I believe that we all ought to use all the wisdom God will give us. It's not my intention to impose solutions on people. I believe we all are priests. We all have access to God through Jesus Christ. And we're all responsible for our choices. So my thing is, if I were pastoring a church or if, you know, and I do pastor some brothers, uh, my thing is, I would say to them, seek the Lord and ask him what he wants you to do. Because people are in different phases, different stages, different places. Uh, if they ask me what I did, I'll tell them what I did. But I won't use what I did to tell them what to do. And I think it's wrong to make your position a test of fellowship. And I see that happening out there, and it's, it greatly concerns me. I think we should urge people to be cautious and prudent. And if they want to know what you did, you can tell them. But I, I'm a little bit nervous about uh, taking a position and then demanding that people do it or there's something wrong with them. Mm. And I might remind people that they have to bear the consequences of their choice. If somebody asked me, did you get the vaccine? I said, yes, reluctantly I did. I won't go into why reluctant and why I did, but I did. I felt this what I needed to do. But uh, I don't fuss about people whether they wear a mask or not. I think it's good if they do. I, I like caution, but I don't like using my position to divide the body of Christ because we're making whatever that is more important than the love of God. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. I, I hear some applause on the audience there. So talk about mystery as producing either unsettling or peace 
And is that a determining factor as to whether you should go forward, whether it's unsettling because it's unknown or peace producing because you know God is in it? Well, it can, it can be either way. I think sometimes we get anxious uh, about the future, uh, about what God may have, because we don't trust the Lord. And I think the critical thing going forward is that we trust the Lord. In fact, I think that's, that's what we have to trust. I mean, we've got to find out in what we trust. I think that's what's going on in the right now. And I think all, all houses built on sand are facing a storm and are coming down. And building on the rock is the key. And the thing about the rock is you can trust it. Um, I, I'm not anxious. Um, and at this stage in my life, I probably have as much reason to be anxious as anybody. But I think that there's a peace that passes an understanding that keeps our hearts and mind. It's not circumstantial. Yeah. And so when I think about the mystery, I'm actually excited because what God has shown me, if I think back to some of the most recent things, it's been tremendous. Well, if he's got something better to show me, it's going to be super. So I'm, I'm not, I get nervous if I'm looking at circumstances or wondering about this or that. But if I'm walking with the Lord, um, we shouldn't be nervous. We should be excited about the potential, uh, but we shouldn't. Anxiety is, well, my used to say, anxiety is a case of atheism. You need to trust the Lord. Yeah, that's good. Uh, just two more questions, Brother Charles. We, uh, we're very grateful for the chance. Uh, Charles is flying out early in the morning uh, for another ministry trip, and so it was really great for him to take the time this evening as he's preparing and uh, spend a few moments with us. This is a, a little bit lengthy question, but I think it's really good to ask. There's so many people in the Bible whose names we only really hear once, and nothing is really told about them other than that. And then likewise, there are many... Uh, unknown servants, saints, who humbly serve without ever preaching a message, writing a book, or uh, attracting any attention at all. Can you comment about the church's responsibility and the church leaders' uh, responsibility and how they can encourage those people? Well, I, I a long time about that, and we don't have it, but I think first and foremost, our, our ambition shouldn't to be known. My is that being known can get very uncomfortable. And I think incognito or anonymous sounds great to me. <laughs> because you can do the will of God with all the garbage that can go on if you're well known. And believe me, uh, if a person gets a name in any field, they're going to catch a lot of flack. And what happens is they get distracted from what God's called them to do. So, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to God uh, that I'm not better known. <laughs> I, 
I, I paid enough for the price for what I am known for. So my ambition's not to be known. My ambition be to go to the swamp and live in that cottage that I've got a picture of in my bathroom. But God let me do that. Uh, I, I guess I've said, but we, we need to we need to get our mind off of from man and seek to win the prize from God. That's excellent. That's great. So here's our last question for this evening. Um, we've heard you talk about how churches need to be less like flower pots and more like vines. How important right. is it to lead believers into actively engaging their communities? I, I missed how important is it? Want to say it again? Let's say it again. We've heard you talk about churches need to be less like flower pots and more like right. vines. How important right. is it to lead believers into actively engaging into their communities? <clears throat> You're breaking up at the end, but if I you correctly how important is it to lead believers to be engaged in the city in the community yes correct? sir in community the community yes sir well i i think it's vitally important my biggest frustration is people can like your messages they can like your personality they can like a lot of stuff and never do anything about it <laughs> and uh that that's that's sad because the whole purpose of preaching and teaching is to get people equipped to do things. And um, my prayer, and, and I thank God, there are that are out in the world, in the community, but but the fruit on the on the and and the flower pot, it may look pretty, but the season's going to be in, and that thing's going to be dead. And if I it's not there rooted in the in the ground and it'll it'll come back so i you know john 15 he said i'm the vine you're the branches he didn't say i'm the flower pot and you're the flower <laughs> to, we need to get over that that's right charles thank you so much uh for your time thank you We pray a blessing upon you and your trip this weekend, and uh, we ask that you'll pray for us as we're here as well. God bless you, Charles. God bless you and all of you. Thank you.